stories, but tonight, uh, my name is Jared, and you're not going to hear my story. Some of you have already heard that one. But we're going to talk about the story of two churches separated in time by 2,000 years, and you're going to find yourself in one of those stories as well. Let me first ask a question. All of you will have answers to this. What do you find about a church that attracts you, excites you, or ticks you off? Uh, don't answer out loud. We could be here a long, long time. Some of you have been around lots of churches. You have columns of answers for all three of those. We get it, don't we? Yeah. One of the things we discover in the Bible is that there's lots of different kinds of churches in the Bible, each with their own texture and flavor. And when we look around any community, ours included Western Washington County, there's lots of different kinds of churches, and they all have their own flavor and their own distinctives. What is it about a church that attracts or excites or ticks you off? You know, when we look around churches, it's easy to find that there's, uh, there's four kinds of good churches. There's probably some kinds of not-so-good churches, but there's lots of good churches. Four kinds of churches. Would you read the first one with me out loud right now? Bible College Church. Yeah. And what does this kind of church focus on? No. Yeah. You can always spot a Bible college church. In fact, I used to go to one of these. I love Bible college churches. You can spot them because they don't use devices. They use Bibles. They're not small print Bibles, you understand. They're large Bibles that have lots of resources in them, and they're well used. And there's notebooks that go along with those Bibles. And if you're like me back in the old day, you have like a suitcase for the Bible and the notebook with a handle on it that go together as well. The purpose, the mission, the priority of a Bible college church is to know God's Word. Would you agree with me that that's probably a good thing? Absolutely. This is not a trick question. These are good kinds of churches. What's the second kind of church? A go deep church where the priority is to be very spiritual. That's a good thing, isn't it? Go deep, baby. You can spot these churches if you're an outsider because they have their eyes closed a lot. I mean, really a lot. A lot. Worship, prayer, meditation, listening to God, go deep churches. That's a, that's a good thing. What's the third kind of church? A family church, yeah. This is where people, as a priority, really want to know each other and care for each other and do life together. And you can spot these churches. I grew up in one. I love it because there's lots of talk and lots of food. It's awesome. Yeah, family church. And the fourth kind of church is a love more church. You can spot this church if you're an outsider because they sweat a lot. Yeah. They're always doing stuff. They measure things. They talk about new initiatives. They talk about the next chapter. They talk about what's God calling you to do. It's a love more church. Now, this is the tricky deal. I, I think, and most of you have affirmed it, these are all four pretty good things. So wouldn't it be great if we were like just the perfect balanced church? So 25% of our time we spend knowing, and 25% of our time being, and 25% of our time caring, and 25% of our time doing, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. yeah. Guess what? Churches that think they're balanced are sincerely wrong about that. Yeah. 
Now, aren't you glad you came tonight for my opinion? Here it is. I'll get out of the way, and then we're going to read the Bible. We'll be on firmer ground then, I understand. My opinion is that in the church of Jesus in a city, that you find that kind of balance. The church of Hillsborough, the church of western Washington County, probably together has that kind of balance. But each individual congregation, just like us and a family, all have our distinct gifts and preferences and priorities and contributions. Probably, probably as a local congregation, we'll emphasize, we'll prioritize one of those over the others. Interesting. What kind of church was the church at Antioch? I wanted to look at that first century church today and introduce you to it, first of all, by talking a bit about the city. The city of Antioch was the third largest city in first century Roman Empire, following just Rome and Alexandria in population with over half a million people. It was a metropolitan city. It was multicultural. It was a melting pot of Western and Eastern cultures with Greek and Roman traditions mingled with Jewish and Arab and Persian influences. It was a multicultural city. The church in Antioch was started when the folks down in the Jerusalem church ended up being forced out by the persecution started with the stoning of Stephen. And some of those folks went north and went west from Jerusalem and began primarily telling other Jewish believers about Jesus. But there were some out-of-the-box people that started breaking the rules. And they started telling Greeks about Jesus in Antioch. And so many Greeks accepted Christ and joined the church. The folks in Jerusalem got nervous, and they sent one of the most respected and generous leaders, Barnabas, to go from Jerusalem up north to Antioch to check this out. And when he saw what God was doing in Antioch, he was so thrilled, he rushed over to to, uh, pick up Paul from his hometown of Tarsus and brought him back to Antioch, and they stayed there as a part of the leadership team for a while. We learn four things about this love more church. The characteristics of reach, receive, team, and send. And tonight we're going to look at two stories, the church at Antioch and the evergreen story. Let's look at the first characteristic. A love more church reaches more. And it says to others, we'll come to you. Now, that's counterintuitive for any collection of people. A come to you church intentionally in every generation makes that decision. But you see, it was in the DNA of the church at Antioch because they weren't invited to come to Jerusalem. Jerusalem went to them. You see, what's natural is to be a you come to us. Come to our place, come do our thing, come worship in our language, come enjoy our culture, come see our song, sing our songs, it do our thing, it works for us. Why don't you come to us? A love more church reaches more by saying, We'll come to you. 
And when we begin reading this story in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we can see how this was embedded in the spiritual DNA of the Antioch congregation. Notice with me as I read. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and I pause... This phrase is the phrase that is mentioned time after time to mark the identity and effectiveness of the church at Antioch. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Yeah. The result of a love more church is that many people become followers in Jesus Christ. Hmm. I'll reach more church. 85 years ago, a 22-year-old guy named Gordon got three of his early 20-something buddies together. Their names were Leon, Willard, and Kimball. And they decided to come to a little farming town called Hillsboro and start a church. That's exactly what they did. And a little while after that, once the church got going, he, uh, Gordon and his friends left Hillsboro and sent news to California that there was a church. Two young 20-something women traveled from L.A. to Hillsboro. Their names were Edith and Ina. And they were the first of what would be two all-female senior pastor teams in the history of what was then called the Hillsboro Foursquare Church, and now we know as Evergreen. Yeah. You see, Hillsboro, 85 years ago, was reached into. They didn't ask us, the four guys, to come to them. They didn't ask us in L.A. to go to them. They came to us. And it's in our DNA to be a reach more congregation. And so we reach out. Today we reached outdoors from these four walls to the food bank and Tuesday to the Tuesday market and to Mooberry and to other schools and where you work and your neighbors and to sports teams and to Uganda. It's who we are. We are a reach more congregation. And we reach out to love more. And so we stretch and we sweat and we give and we go and we have sweat rings under our arms and we don't always smell all that good because we are a do church. The next chapter always asks the question, what do we get to do with Jesus next? We are a love more church. The second characteristic we see at Antioch is that they received more. A receive more church says, we need you. You're wanted here. Notice as I continue the passage, in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, it says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. 
And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the grace of, that God had done, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Here it is. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus, and he looked for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. I smile and chuckle when I read that. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul were at Antioch. Can you believe that? A whole stinking year. What's all that about? Well, the deal was, of course, that Paul hadn't stayed anywhere other than home longer than a few days. When he accepted Jesus, he got run out of town within a few hours, risking, uh, you know, the life of others for him to stick around. And he went to Jerusalem, and they sent him back home after just a few days so that he would kind of go home and cool down and wise up. Apparently, after 10 years, he had. And Barnabas brought them over. But a year? Can you imagine them just being there a year? Wouldn't it be cool for Barnabas to be your pastor? And maybe Paul, I mean, we, you know, we just got some rough edges knocked off of this guy, but he's turning out to be a pretty good boy after a whole year. 85 years ago, when the guys came and started this church, um, they didn't last here too long. Uh, they moved on, and it's a good thing that you're seated tonight because I have a piece of trivia that's going to be just shocking for some of you. In our 85-year history, there have been 34 officially appointed senior pastors of this church. 34. That's not like counting up couples, many of whom either teamed up as two single people or a wife and a husband team. That's counting one team at a time, 34 different senior pastors appointed to this church. There's been interims as well. Hmm. Sure has messed us up, hasn't it? What a horrible thing. You're still seated, aren't you? In the first 10 years, there were 11 duly appointed senior pastors of this church. They took this passage literally. If Barnabas and Saul were only there for about a year, 11 months comes up, we better head out of town too, right? So boom, they hit the road. Yeah, coming and going like crazy around here. Amazing thing. Yeah. This is a church that has in its DNA a reach more focus, and the issue has always been if we are going to reach more, then we're going to expect God to send so that we can receive more. And every time Evergreen has received more, moving into a new chapter, more people have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And tonight, as we receive Rick and Elizabeth Sachuk to come and join this team of leaders, our belief is that the result of their coming is going to be the same as it was at the church at Antioch. Many will come to faith in Christ Jesus. We are a receive more church. Well, that brings us to the third quality. It's the church at Antioch teamed more. A team more church says, we do it together. Let's continue by going to chapter 13, reading verse 1, and it says, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets 
and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Interesting team. You see, just as the city of Antioch was a multi, most multicultural, the church leadership was diverse. It included a wealthy, generous Jew. It included a former Pharisee, Saul. Simeon, who was likely black. Lucius, who was from Africa. Manian, who was brought up with Herod, who may have had political influence and was probably well-educated. Antioch was a unique city, pluralistic, religiously, ethnically, culturally. And in that city, God brought together diverse people from different financial strata, from different religious backgrounds, Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, as well as Greeks from different nationalities coming from Africa and Syria and Cyprus and Palestine, those of different racial and ethnic backgrounds. And because the leaders in this church had such a broad array of diversity, they were able to move into this multicultural city and were able to be evangelistically effective everywhere. Simeon could speak to some. Saul could debate in the synagogues. Manian could deal with wealthy politicians. Lucius could relate to recent emigrants. It was a team more church. Here at Evergreen, we're committed to doing ministry as teams. Leadership teams, teaching team. Now, I know that it's a little unusual, especially the teaching team thing. Because culturally, most churches have decided not to do a team teaching approach. You know how it works in most churches. Most churches, there is a designated person, and he or she does most of the public service teaching. We have no argument with that. There's nothing wrong with it. We don't think it's necessarily, uh, uh, it is not certainly the biblical model. It's okay if people culturally choose to organize themselves that way. That's perfectly fine. We don't have any argument with that. The more evangelical to fundamentalist the church will be, a Roman Catholic, the more likely that is to be a primary male speaker. And the more mainline the church or congregation, the more there's the possibility that that primary speaker may be male or female, but the model is the same, a primary speaker for a period of time, anywhere from a year to three decades, depending upon how long they stay. We just kind of took a look at the Bible and said, you know, if we're going to be an Antioch church, Maybe it would make sense to organize ourselves in an Antioch leadership kind of way. And so we're thrilled with and excited about the teaching team model that we choose. And so you heard from Alex and you heard from, uh, what's your name, Brad? Brad, and, and uh, you heard Ann's story and you heard my story. In the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear Pastor Kim's story and you're going to hear Grant's story and then you're going to hear Rick's story and Elizabeth's story because we think as God blesses us with teams that we are better equipped to fulfill what he's calling us to do in our community. Yeah, we team up. We believe 
that diversity, different gifts and backgrounds and genders and generations and life situations will help us love Western Washington County better as we love more. So a Love More Church reaches more and receives more and teams more. And finally, and this is the one that's painful. You know it was going to come, Dan. Here it is. It sends more. Yeah. Let's pick up verse 2 of chapter 13. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, let me mess with this. I want you to take somebody who's not made the cut. I want you to take someone off the C team. I want you to pick someone that really isn't making that much of a difference. I want you to choose someone that may have potential someplace else, but isn't really going to make the cut here all that well. That's not what it says, is it? The Holy Spirit said, I want you to send Barnabas. Barnabas. Anybody but Barnabas. We don't know what's going on. We're a bunch of Greeks. We don't even know the Old Testament. We're followers of Jesus. You don't know what a mess we were before Barnabas got here. He's like the adult in the church. He's been around. He's respected. He knows the deal. He's nice. He's encouraging. He's wealthy. He's generous. We don't want Barnabas to go. He is a 10. Barnabas Well, if Barnabas is going to go, at least you're going to leave Paul. The Holy Spirit said, I want you to send Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And so, after fasting and prayer, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Here, here's the verse, verse 49. And the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Every time people come to Christ. Wow. Antioch sent their best. Hmm. So 34 senior pastors at Evergreen, crazy, and scores of staff members and hundreds of volunteers who have come and gone from this church in 85 years. But I only have a couple of minutes, so I'm just going to highlight just a few. Did I mention that Gordon at 22 was the guy that started this church along with three of his buddies? Gordon fell in love with Frida. You're happy to know that, aren't you? Yeah. She was from Portland, and they got married. And after a few months here, they felt called to go to Billings, Montana, and start a four-square church, Gordon and Frida Lindsay. And in 1970, they felt called to Dallas, Texas to start something called Christ for the Nations Institute. And to date, Christ for the Nations Institute has trained and sent out 33,000 ministers to 120 countries to plant 12,500 churches. Do you think it's in our DNA to send the best? I think so. Yeah. One of the pastors in his 20s, Guy Duffield, felt called to go from here to become a young professor at Life Bible College where he served as a loved, distinguished professor for decades, including becoming a writer and an author of theology. 
Roy Maurer came as senior pastor in his 20s and was called to become the Northwest District Supervisor of this region, a time that we grew at Foursquare as a, as a denomination prolifically across this part of the country. Raymond Cox left his pastorate here to go to Salem. He earned his doctorate in theology and became a respected theologian. Some of you were here when Dennis Easter, age 20, graduated young from Life Bible College, appointed a senior pastor at Evergreen, hitchhiked from L.A. to Hillsboro and showed up as senior pastor. He wasn't here long, but some of you remember while he was here. Dennis turned out pretty well, earned a doctorate from George Fox, a doctorate of ministry, has served in a variety of denominational roles, was a candidate for president of Foursquare, serves now as a district supervisor in Southern California. Coleman and Mary Phillips, the pastors who brought 38 years ago this congregation in relocation from 4th Avenue, just north of Oak Street, to this site, and were sent from this platform to Escondido, California to pastor a church. And they started a school and a great Bible college that has sent out many pastors and missionaries and other trained leaders. Santa Ginger Simmons sent from this church to that church that years before Gordon and Freddie Lindsay had started in Billings and had now shrunk down to about 35 people. And over the last 35 years, seen that grow to a congregation of 5,000, the largest church in that state. Ed and Ivy Stanton left from here to Los Angeles with a team. Some of you may have been included on that to Pastor Angelus Temple. Dan and Connie Stewart left here as Dan went to L.A. to serve as president of Life Pacific College. Chris and Jennifer Maginelli went from here to pastor as they currently do in Mill Creek, Washington. Mark and Kathy Shaw went from here and Mark currently serves as executive pastor in Battleground, Washington. In the past three years, we've sent Lori to Uganda, the Hovitz to Cottage Grove, the Gerbers to Spokane, the Hughes to Corrales. This is a calling. It is a legacy. It's in our DNA. We don't always want to do it. We can't help but do it. It's who we are. We are a love more church, and we send our best. We will never get used to it. It will never feel good. Every time it hurts, dear people, friends that we've invested life in and they into us leave this place and they do it time after time as they did Antioch. But what a legacy for the Antioch church to say, we're the ones that cleaned up Paul when he was a mess and he turned out pretty well. <laughs> and an 85-year history of Evergreen is... We have invested in people that God has used amazingly around this world. And many people were brought to the Lord. It's who we are. So, of course, there's an announcement about somebody leaving, right? I mean, wouldn't there be, any, there couldn't be any other way to end this message, right? Yeah. And I feel that. I feel it because I don't want him to go. 
But with an announcement of sending, there's always a great announcement about receiving as well. And this is very cool. Later this week, you're going to get uh, uh, an e-communication. You're also going to get a hard copy letter announcing our new worship pastor. We are so excited about that. We're not announcing this weekend. We're going to meet with the worship team first so they get to hear uh, face-to-face. And then we're all going to celebrate that next weekend. But what that means as the new worship pastor comes, it means that Jared Evers, who has just is such a dear friend and for three years has been a part of this team and serving so well as worship arts pastor the last almost a year, is going to be going. Here's the good news. In a few months this fall, we're going to get to send Jared to Nashville as he steps into God's next chapter in his life, as he expresses his gifts and calling and ministry in music. Evergreen is a love more church. And as a love more church, we reach more. The new chapter for us is to love our 32,000 Latino neighbors better than we have. This is not a look back. It's not recrimination. It's not guilt. It's not judgment. It's just a recognition of when we turn the page. In God's next chapter for Evergreen, we see that page filled with a lot more Latino and Hispanic brothers and sisters. That's who we see there. There are in Forest Grove, 23% of the Forest Grove population is Latino and Hispanic. 51% of the population of Cornelius. Latino, Hispanic. 24% of the population of Hillsboro, Latino, Hispanic. And we are so thrilled for those of you and others in Evergreen who, who share that heritage and those various uh, ethnic uh, communities that pour into those very two large words. But when I give those, those numbers, we are horribly underrepresented by those great communities. And when we look into the next chapter, God is calling us to reach more and to reach into those communities. And so it makes sense for us to do something that's new and fresh and more intentional and smarter and more gifted than we've had the capacity to do in the past, that we would receive more. In a moment, Anne will be introducing Rick and Elizabeth Sawchuk and their kids. You're going to hear just a little bit of their story now and more later about how God has uniquely gifted and called them to join our leadership and teaching team to help us receive more. We reach more, receive more. And we team more. As they both join these teams, Rick as a paid staff member, Elizabeth as a volunteer, you'll be hearing much more from them later in their various leadership and teaching capabilities. And we're a church that has, do, and will send our best as well. We'll be sending Jared this fall to Nashville. About a year from now, we'll be sending Grant and Marta. Grant, junior high pastor, Marta works in children's ministries, both on staff. We'll be sending them along with a team, which may include some of you, to Walla Walla, Washington, to start a church. We send more, and we send our best. And we believe that every time we obey the voice of the Spirit, that a great number of people are brought to the Lord. We are a reach more church, a receive more church, a team more church, a send more church. We are a love 
more church. Let's sweat together. And if you're excited about that, let's applaud him and say, thank you, God, for who you've made us. And would you come? Well, I'm so excited to introduce two of our new pastors here on the team, Rick and Elizabeth Sawchuk. We met Elizabeth. She just finished Life Pacific Bible College and was the assistant youth pastor at Church on the Way, a church down in Los Angeles. And we had just moved there. So we were very interested in the youth ministries because our kids were in high school and they were, they'd left everything, all of their friends, all that they'd known for all of their school years to start over. And you all want your kids to thrive, right? And our daughter got Elizabeth as her small group leader and discipler. And it was with Elizabeth that our daughter was baptized in the Holy Spirit, that she began to really move in amazing ways in ministry and connect with people. And just as a parent, you always have eternal gratitude uh, toward that person. But the thing about Elizabeth that we loved is she not only cared about those outside the door, but she cared that when they did come to know Jesus, that they got discipled, that they got to grow up, that they understood, what's my next step? And, and she's just awesome at that and grown to expand that world from youth to women. And we look forward to her being the um, leader of women's ministries here at Evergreen. Been praying for her and waiting for her and uh, so excited about that. And, you know, along the way in her story, um, a little while after we'd met her more than 16 years ago, she fell in love with a guy named Rick. And we didn't know Rick's story when we first met him. He was just this awesome, redheaded, fun guy. And I, I love redheads, so that's why I always comment on it. But, but when we met Rick, there are two things that stood out about him. One is that he just loved people. He never knew a stranger. He just immediately engages you with conversation and just so much fun. And secondly, that Rick had a passion for the world. So it made a lot more sense when we got to know his story because, you know, he was born in Los Angeles to an immigrant family who came from Argentina and Uruguay via the Ukraine. So he's kind of a mini melting pot. I consider him representative of what the U.S. is all about. And um, so it wasn't hard to figure out how he came up with this passion for God's big world, for the nations of the world. And that's just something that's always stood out. And in our time with Rick, we have spent time with him in an organization called WOW, which is Winning Our World with Jesus and Music. When all of the U.S., our kids got to travel with that organization as well, uh, just reaching people from around the world that have immigrated to our nation's cities and are some of the most destitute people, many of them because they came with a refugee-type status. And so um, just a wonderful way to get acquainted with him. He worked in that ministry. And then the last seven years at New Life in Everett, a church you can read more about that church online, but Rick oversaw outreach as well as discipleship there, and just a fantastic guy. But both of these guys, we're so excited about them coming, and I'd just like them to come. We've asked them to share the behind-the-scenes story of how they got here. You know, every move has a lot of chapters to it, so they're going to share that with you. Would you welcome them? Is, is Anita here? Is Anita here tonight? Well, I'll tell you a story. Um, I grew up with Russian parents and uh, South American, uh, Russian parents, grandparents. My parents from South America, and I grew up in San Francisco. And so for the longest time, I thought I was like a little fruit salad. Because I had staunch Russian side, really expressive Latin American side, and of course, becoming American here. And so growing up, I, I, uh, I loved culture. I loved language. 
I would always identify people by where they came from. And um, in college, I, I began to study uh, anthropology, wondering why people think the way they do and where they come from. And it gave me a love for nations. And I remember when I was uh, in high school, I would love hearing missionary stories of my youth pastor who had been many times overseas in Asia and would tell his story. And uh, one day he stopped me and said, Rick, uh, you don't tell my stories very well. So uh, it's time that you have your own stories. <laughs> and that was my first time. We went overseas. Um, you sit down. Um, we'd go to the streets of San Francisco and do local outreach, preach to whoever would listen, or uh, go overseas. And I just thought, wow, I see God moving in various places and decided to be, uh, commit my life to that and on pastoring, leading people to serve and discover God in, in various ways. Well, two years ago, uh, we were at a church service, and a guy was talking about who are we uniquely called to reach? Who are we uniquely called to reach? And I thought to myself, my background is, I, I know a little bit of Slavic background. Uh, my first language was Spanish, and uh, I grew up in America, so Americans and Latinos. And that night, God really put a burden in my heart to reach Latinos. And so I made a, an effort to identify leaders in our community in our congregation that would start Bible studies and, and church services. And that has a, a fair amount of success, but not a lot. And at the beginning of this year, I realized, you know, that call was for me, not people that I would recruit. This is something, an assignment that God had given me. And it was at the time that conversations with, with Pastor Jared and Ann began to surface and percolate a little more. And, and, and he shared the vision about Cornelius and, and uh, West Plains and Hillsboro. I thought that'd be kind of cool if that would work out. Well, in May... Uh, got a call that the opportunity was now available for Elizabeth and I to come and we get to be part of this team. Didn't realize that it was a two-year circle. And how do you know that God never goes in a straight path? Yeah. And, you know, it's never a short, shortest distance. It's always through various valleys and streams and things like that. And so uh, it is a great joy that we're here. We see that God is doing so many things already. Just when I announced uh, at our church a couple weeks ago that I was leaving, a woman came up to me in the evening service like this as I was on the way out the door, and she said, "Um, can I talk to you? She said, I'm visiting from San Diego, and uh, I love this this story of of you working with Latinos. I work with Latinos in San Diego with migrant workers, helping them to get established in in basic services, and uh, speak Spanish, and I love it. I think there should be more people like you doing it. And by the way, I'm moving to Hillsborough, Oregon in two months. Can you use some help? I said, help? Help is on the way. And so there's been a few other conversations like that. I just see, I want to be a part of what God's doing here. I know the church has vision for it as we reach more and send more and teach more and receive more. And we'll, we'll strategize and pray, what is God doing? Because we do want to see people who feel far from God come close, don't we? And so that's part of my story. And I'm going to encourage my daughter. Uh, she, a little, her little story, part of this. Hi, I'm Katarina, and I'm super excited to be here at Evergreen, and um, this is my story. Uh, My family is at convention, and I heard my mom over talking with her friends, and and she said we were moving, and I was so shocked, and I didn't know what to do, and kept thinking about we're moving. And um, later, I was talking to God, and I and I'm like, this is my first home. I've never lived some 
somewhere else barely, and it's my I, all my friends are here, and I'm really gonna miss here. And I felt like God said that it's time for us to move. As you can imagine, it was so encouraging to Rick and I that God is speaking to our kids as well and preparing them for the move. Um, and um, I am I'm grateful to be here tonight. Early in our conversations earlier this year, I was driving around Hillsboro in my minivan and just began to sense how God was going ahead of us here and calling our family to move here. And two years ago, I was with Rick when we both um, received a call for the, our next season of ministry, and um, it's just really unusual for probably for us to respond to altar calls at this point because we we've just been in a lot of church services. I, I don't know; that's not necessarily a good thing. But we both felt that we needed to respond. We both felt God speaking to us about the same thing. Rick saw a picture, and I felt the Lord um, asking a question in my heart of what, um, how. What comfort was I willing to give up to love more and reach more people, and specifically um, Latinos that my husband is so equipped to reach? And um, so that, two years ago, comes around to bring me to where we are today, which is in the process of moving our family from Lake Stevens, Washington, to Hillsboro. And um, we are still just as convinced that God's called us to come join and what he's doing in Hillsboro, um, which doesn't make moving easy. I don't like moving. Um, in fact, you're going to be stuck with us for quite a while because I can't do this again very soon. <laughs> so um, I was, you know, I've been managing all the logistics of moving five people's lives from one place to another. And um, the Lord brought something to mind the other morning. Our son Noah, if, of all our kids, he loves to go. He loves to travel. He's also been in four services today, if you're wondering what's going on with him. But he uh, he always wants to go. And he, in fact, he pulls his own luggage when we're at the airport. And every evening, he prays something that has to do with something that goes like this. Lord, thank you that it was a good day at the airport. Let tomorrow be a good day at the airport. I mean, it's just always on his mind. So he pulls his little red suitcase. He loves it. I don't have the same affection for the airport because I'm usually carrying three suitcases, two car seats, and, you know, trying to keep track of boarding passes. Well, I just felt the Lord say, you know, Elizabeth, I've got the boarding passes. I've got the destination. You grab your red suitcase and join in the adventure. And I see our family. We're probably the last one's on the plane. You all are going somewhere, but there's a wide open door of effective ministry, and we're racing down the jetway to join you. Thanks for helping us with our bags. We are those people that are about to make the flight late, Um, but we are coming on board. We are excited for the place that all of us are going together. I'm pulling my suitcase. I'm trusting God for the destination. I hope you will. um, I hope we can go together. I just want to say these kids deserve a medal today. <laughs> they started at the 8 o'clock service, and that in itself was, was quite a bit. And they've made seven trips 
to Hillsboro from Seattle in the last month trying to find a house. So um, God's grace on all of them. And this is Gabriel 5. I don't know if we mentioned that. Noah 2, yeah. And Katarina 8. You're going to enjoy getting to know them, as I'm sure you can already tell. They've been so much fun today up here. If you'd extend your hands this way, we want to pray for them. This is just the beginning.